share on a subject. I know it can be sensitive depending from uh, varying from one culture to another. I want to share on the subject that there's power in the blood. When I'm talking about the blood, I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that in many areas of this world, whenever there's an issue of blood being shed, it evokes a lot of emotions and people feel life is at stake. But I want us to go back and see how God has viewed blood through his word and how he has used it to minister to humanity. So I'd like us just to take a few moments to go over the word of God and remind ourselves of the power in the blood of Jesus Christ and what it portends for each one of us in our lives so that if we rightly appropriate it, it is going to be a powerful tool in our life, in my life, is going to be a door opener in every situation depending on the extent to which you want to rely upon it. So I want us just to pray again and say, the Lord Jesus Christ, take control of everything that we are going to share this hour. Let only that which you have intended to reach your body minister to us, O God. Father, that which you have wanted us to share this afternoon, I pray that your divine favor be upon us, O God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Once again, I want to welcome those of you from distant lands who have decided to join us on this afternoon. Maybe in your land it's very early in the morning or it's late in the afternoon. But all the same, we are very appreciative of your effort to be with us in this service. And we really value your presence. May God bless you so much. As is a normal behavior in this church, we really want to share with you. It's only that we can't talk to you face to face, but I'm sure as it was announced, you will have a session at least to interact with people online. And so we are very grateful to God. I want to give us a background of the blood and how God throughout uh, the Bible has been using this issue of blood in the lives of humanity. But first, we must appreciate Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, sets the scene. God creates man in his own image, and he says it is very good. This is what the Bible says from New Living Translation, that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So therefore, that sets up the state we have been created in the image of God. And uh, that is something to ponder about. Because how am I? How do I look like? How do I function? Is this what God intended me to, to be like? But then, soon after that, as we move to Genesis chapter 3, we begin to realize that uh, man, 
begins to deviate from the intended goal that God had the intended purpose for his life that God had in mind at the time of creation. Remember all through the six day week that the Bible talks about, God had been creating things and he said they were all good, but only in the instant when he's about to create man, he sits and they have a council. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the, the, the Holy Ghost, have a council and they say, let us create man in our own image. Let us create man in our own image. So it means it's something deliberate, something that God deliberated upon and thought carefully on what man should look like. It was not like the other cases when he said, let there be, and it was. Let there be, and it was. No. In this case, it's let us create man in our own image. It is a powerful statement how God's intention for man was from the very beginning. It was a deliberate plan to have a man exhibit the godlike characteristics in his life. We have in the past mentioned that God spoke the word and there was power in the word of God as he spoke. That creative power caused things to come into existence. And soon after that, God begins to train man on how to speak into things so that they can be. So that's when he begins to let all the animals perform Adam. And he tells Adam, name them, name them. Speak a name to these animals. Speak a name to these animals. And so Adam started speaking names to these animals. And to, to this very day, whatever our father Adam called those animals, those are the names that you have given them. Whatever description he had for those animals, that's what we have retained to this very moment. So there was power being transferred into the life of man. But then let us see something happens that determine, causes God now to engage a different gear on how to relate to man. So Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, we are all familiar with this, but we are laying background on what we are going to share today so that we have a clear understanding how this blood of Jesus Christ is very important in our lives today and what it really means in your Christian life for you to be a successful Christian. Genesis 3, 6, 7, a story we are familiar with says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, for gaining wisdom, she took, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig, I want you to underline that part, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, this is the first attempt for man to make things, to write things with God. He has gone wrong and he begins to make an attempt to make things right with God. What does he do? He plucks leaves from whatever tree was closest to him 
and puts them together, something to cover him. He now is aware there is a shame associated with sin coming into the presence of God. There is shame, a measure, a degree of shame. And it's so bad that you don't feel comfortable in the presence of a holy God. So he decides to try something out that will not make him feel embarrassed, feel shameful, feel unwanted, feel like he's not part of the presence of God. And those are leaves. Genesis 3.21, God comes along and God makes tunics of skin. God makes tunics of skin. Hmm? Verse 21, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, you don't get a, a skin of an animal when it is still dry. You get it when it's wet. And when you get that skin, there must be blood being shed. There must be blood being shed from the animal for you to get the skin from it. So there is an indication that there is a measure of blood that has been spilled for these new garments that can hide the shame of Adam and his wife that has been shed. So two things happen. One, the shedding of the blood at this very instant is there to remove the shame from the two. Because the Bible tells us clearly when, the Bible tells us clearly when, uh, when God had come on the scene, these people were hiding. Something had changed in them. Their relationship with God had changed. They were not as free as they were before. They were not as confident as they were before because they had welcomed a foreigner in their relationship with God. Something had come in the midst of that relationship and had brought shame. Shame was accompanied by the second thing, being moved away, rejection. There was a spirit of rejection in them. They could not see themselves in the presence of God. So they had moved away. They had gone to hide. But God comes along and begins to engage a different gear and says, this man I loved so much, this man I created in my own image has now broken the covenant I had with him. So I must have a substitution for that covenant to be reinstated. That requires the shedding of blood. So in the restoration of the relationship between Adam and God, the first thing that God did was to allow for the shedding of blood. I'm emphasizing that. So blood takes a new measure in the life, in the relationship. Genesis 8, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 to 21. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, 21 we see another case that is arising. The scene is become so, the world has become so sinful. The entire world is littered with sin. There is one righteous man in the midst of all this chaos by the name Noah. He walked with God. 
he loved God. He was faithful in all his dealings with God. But because of what was happening around him, God make a, made a determination. I will no longer relate with man this way, save for one man, no. So God determined that man, he was to erase humanity from the face of the world, except one who had honored him. But something happens after many days staying in the ark, after many days of staying in the ark with the animals, with the family, no finds an opportunity to come out because the floods have subsided. The floods have subsided. In verse 20, the Bible says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. Just suppose you cannot hold an animal and put it on an altar and lit a fire when it is still alive. It will jump out of that altar. So no must have slaughtered these animals and there was shedding of blood and laid them on the altar for him to offer a sacrifice. So there is a, a shedding of blood to restore the relationship. That was no saying, thank you, God, for sparing my life. Thank you, God, that you've spared my family. Thank you, God, that you have counted me worthy to see this other side of life. Verse 21, and the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again cast the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. What has stunned God's fury at this moment? What has caused the God who was so furious a few days ago and caused the entire humanity he had brought about from the time of Adam to this very moment. He decided enough was enough and he was to get rid of them. But at this moment, the Bible says, this man offered sacrifice of select animals that had been approved and birds. And after he's offered the sacrifice, there was a sweet smelling aroma that turned God around. And God decided, I will not go through this process again with humanity. I must cement my relationship with man. What turned God's anger into this kind of position was a sacrifice of blood that had been offered. Praise the Lord. Genesis 15, verse 10. Genesis 15, verse 10. Abraham offers sacrifice. Abraham has won several wars in the preceding chapter. He has just won some wars. He has recovered his nephew and his possessions. He has brought them back. Now he's at a place where 
is wondering, I have made so much. I have built an empire. I have got so many people working for me. But one thing I lack is a child of my own. So all that I've been working for is likely to go to this one of my workers. This troubled Abraham. And so being faithful to God, God said to him, no, it is not going to be. It is only that who comes from within you that will inherit your possession. Praise the Lord. So verse 10, after Abraham has had a chat with God, Abraham, verse 10 says, so Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Now he's coming with animals and he's offering, giving a sacrifice. And I said, before you offer an animal, even a chicken, if you don't, those, those who slaughter, when I was young, I used to be given an opportunity to, 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 to prepare chicken. We don't buy them. At that time, we were not buying them from the supermarket. We would just run after one in the compound. If there was a visitor, we would run after one in the compound. And after we hold it, then one of us will go to do the slaughtering. Then we remove the feathers. I know those of us who are born in a different era and maybe in towns are looking at me as a very barbaric person. But uh, barbarism is out, it's gone. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm alive and well. Praise the Lord. We would prepare the chicken, remove the feathers, and hand it over to our mother and uh, our cousins to prepare. If at any time in the process of slaughtering uh, the chicken, it was struggling and got out of that hold, I wish I had a picture of how it is done so that some of you can see, because the wings were clipped together and stamped down on the ground with one foot. And the feet were stamped down with the second feet. And one hand held the head and the other one held the knife. We were just doing what our father Abraham used to do. So don't look at me strangely. If that chicken got out of that situation, even if it was half slaughtered, it will run around very, very violently, very, very violently, violently, because it knew that the end has come. So I'm saying you must kill an animal first before you offer it on the altar as a sacrifice. That's what they used to do. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid halves side by side, and he did not, he did not however, cut the birds in half. I'm saying, as you come before God, making an agreement with him, cementing your covenant with God, there is always the element of blood. But it's not this blood we are going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ and how powerful it is in our lives. Then, during Abraham's time, the blood that they offered on, as, an old, as an offering was temporary. That is why they had to repeat over and over. 
in order to continue cementing that relationship. But in this case, it will be different. And so we shall see it from the scripture, how it turns out to be different. And so we see blood being shed, and this blood is being shed for Abraham to affirm what God has said concerning him, because it's going to be to own vast tracts of land. The Bible described them from Lebanon to the Euphrates, and in the west, the lands that occupied around Mediterranean Sea. So that was a vast land that was being offered to Abraham. And God was confirming, allowed this to happen through the cementing of the covenant by the blood. Genesis 21 verse 4, Genesis 21 verse 4, Isaac had to shed blood in honor of God's promise. We see at this stage, verse 3, Abra, and Abraham named his son Isaac, and Abraham named his son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Circumcision involves the shedding of blood. Circumcision involves the shedding of blood. For Isaac to be part of this covenant of God that was started by the shedding of blood, it was important for him also to partake in the same of shedding of blood so that that blood would cement them together. So there was blood to be shed at that point. And remember, it is God who commanded Abraham to do so. He did not just think it out himself. It is God who said, I started off a covenant with you. It was premised on the blood. I want this covenant to be passed to your son, Isaac. It shall also be cemented in blood. Praise God. So we see a history of blood being involved in that relationship establishing of relationship between God and man. Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 7. Exodus 12, verse 7. The book of Exodus 12, verse 7. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat, where they eat the animal. Verse 13. But the blood on but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign. Underline that, will serve as a sign. The blood will serve as a sign. Marking the houses where you are, stay. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want to bring to your attention now that God is beginning to step up the activities of the blood. It's no longer just a question of a relationship. He's introducing other aspects to the blood that is being shed. Now, the background to this story is that the children of Israel are in slavery. They're being overworked. They're being subdued by the Egyptians. And God has proved to the Egyptians through many miracles, the Egyptian, the leadership of Egypt, 
There's nothing they did not know about the power of God up until this moment. If they are frogs, they had seen them in a measure they had never witnessed before. If they are the nuts, they had seen them in a measure they had not seen before. If it is bloody water, they had seen it in a way they had never seen before. If they are boils, they had tested them in a way they had never seen before. But all that did not shake them. It did not shake them at all. Because the blood that was in the water was not the blood of animals. The water just turned into blood. But at this moment, God says, enough is enough. And he tells Moses, we have to take a, blem a, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without blemish, one with no sin, one who does not know any sin, one that has not committed any sin, any transgression, any iniquity, a lamb that is pure. The blood of this pure lamb is the one that you're going to take. Part of it, you'll smear on the doorposts and the lamb itself will be shared that evening. It must be eaten that evening after it has been prepared, not raw, after it has been prepared, it was to be eaten. And the beauty of it in verse 13, the Bible says that the blood from that pure lamp that was put on the doorposts was to serve as a sign. I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. It identifies one as one that has been redeemed. It sets us apart from every other person. It sanctifies us. It justifies our life. It makes us as just as if we have not sinned. We are still pure before the eyes of God. It sanctifies us, sets us apart from the crowd and pronounces anybody that has, has rightly acknowledged the power of the blood of Jesus. Christians who have acknowledged the blood of Jesus, it causes them to be set apart from the crowd. We can all be saved, we can all be walking around proclaiming the word of God, but we appropriate the blood in different degrees. There are people who do not appropriate it to a higher degree. The others on a moderate degree, degree. The others on a very low degree. According to the measure you assign to the blood of Jesus Christ, that will determine the destiny of your life. That will determine the extent to which you experience victory in your Christian life. That will determine the extent to which you allow the devil to mess with your life. If you treat the blood of Jesus in a very, very low-key way, you do not assign it with the power that it has, then the devil will have room in your life. If you don't recognize that blood as a sign upon your life that sets you apart, that sanctifies you, that justifies your life, then you will live like any other person in this world. Though you be God, 
you will live like mere men because you have not appropriated the blood of the Lamb of God rightly in your life. The enemy has clearance to play around with you because he knows you do not recognize what you have in your possession. The potent in that blood, the power in the blood of Jesus, he does know. The sons of Sceva, you have read them in the book of Acts. They went, they did not know the power in the blood, they did not understand the blood, the power in the blood of Jesus Christ that Paul was talking about. All they knew that when Paul talks about this blood, something happens wherever he is. So they went around playing around. And the Bible says the devil had the courage to tell them, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, I know, Jesus, I know. But who are you? You know, when the devil is asking you that way, he knows his position. He's so confident. And the Bible says these seven people who are playing around, purporting to know Jesus, purporting to know the power in the blood, the power in the blood that was shed on Calvary, they ran out of that house. They were beaten, thoroughly beaten. Two of them escaped naked from that house. Why? They did not know the blood, the power in the blood of Jesus. They only talked about it, but they did not appropriate it well. So at this time, the blood is being used as a sign to separate, set them apart. It identifies the, the Jews from the rest, sets them apart. And number two, it provides protection over these people. It provides protection over them. That is why the Bible says this plague that was about to visit the Egyptians, this plague, actually it was visiting the entire land. It was visiting the entire land. The only thing that happened is that those who had been identified, who by the blood that was said, the blood of the lamb, the sinless lamb, that blood, once it was on the doorpost, your house was safe. You are safe also inside. You are set apart. That is why it is good to be in Christ Jesus. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you are in that house of Christ Jesus and the blood that is shed on Calvary is all over his body, you are safe inside. You do not have the worries of the plagues that are striking outside. Why? Because there is the blood which is a sign on the body of Christ. The Bible says we are the body of Christ. We are in him, in him. So we are sealed in him. And his body that was beaten on the cross, shedding blood, that blood is already there as a symbol to those enemies of God, the enemy, the devil. When he tries to strike, he sees the blood of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary and he re is reminded, it is done. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. You have no authority to touch those who are in Christ Jesus, inside Christ Jesus. You have no authority. So that is why it is good to have the blood, to be under the blood of the Lord because it provides protection. 
Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29. I'll read one verse. It is a whole verse you can read from the beginning. King Ezekiah and the rest, what they are doing. And come to verse 22. And come to verse 22. The Bible says, So they killed the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. So they killed the bulls, the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Next, they killed the rams and sprinkled their blood on the altar. And finally, they did the same with the male lambs. I want to say, these people were not doing that for fun. They had understood that there's a covenant you reach with God through the blood. At that time, Christ had not been manifested. But they were doing that which they had been shown as, as a symbolism of what was going to happen later. God was preparing humanity for the miracle that he was going to perform in the history of humanity in the days to come. So he was making them use animals as an exercise. When I used to be a footballer, we would train, train, train. But before we go to play our real the opposition, we would pick some small clubs around, some small teams around. We practice what we are going to do with them, with our enemy later. So we would play with them, try our styles, whether it's working or not. And then we would go back to train and perfect. And then again, we would come and train and see whether we have corrected our mistakes. And as the day approached, we would begin to realize our confidence was, was building up. God in his own wisdom, he was already preparing men to appreciate the blood that was going to be shed on the cross at Calvary. He allowed them to do some practice and training using animals. But these animals were not just any animal that was passing by. He told them the animal was supposed to be pure, blameless, without blemish, one that was not lame, one that was perfect, so that the blood was also perfect and it was to be slaughtered. This blood from this perfect animal was to be a symbol of his acceptance of the relationship acceptance of their relationship. So it was just an image of what was to come later. So in the temple, Hezekiah decides the vessels that had been abused by Ahaz, they had been made. They were not holy. They had been made impure. Those those vessels were to be purified by the blood. Those vessels were to be purified by the blood. So he decided they were to purify them using the blood. Praise the Lord. I hope you're hearing me. 
somebody who has unmuted mic, can you mute your mic, please? There's unmuted mic somewhere. Can you mute your mics? So we see something happening here. There is a build up. The temple of God is being purified. And there is the shedding of the blood. And the blood that is being shed is supposed to purify this temple to make it holy. So that every worship that will arise from this temple will be a worship that is going acceptable to God. And that was the days, those were the days that people would go to the literal temple to worship God. But the Bible says, the time has come that those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman at the well and telling uh, you people, you talk of worshiping in Jerusalem, worshiping here and there, but you talk of what you don't understand. But a time has come for people to worship and they that worship must worship in truth and in spirit and in truth. I would like us to move to Hebrews. This one I'm going to try and uh, read quite a long portion. I'll read it here. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The Bible says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. That means the offerings, the sacrifices, Abraham, Noah, uh, Moses and the Israelites were, were all giving, the offering, the sacrifices, Zechariah was giving, and all that time were only a shadow of what God intended to happen. They were not what should happen. Sorry for those of us who continue offering animals. I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you think that is pleasing God, it has been overridden by time. You are time bad, it's too late. It doesn't have any effect at all. It was a shadow and the shadow is gone. This is a session, a time for the real things. For this reason, it can never buy the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So if you intend to give offering, now people give their sacrifices in different forms. People come to church and they say, it's done. I've once shared with you about my child, early childhood. We would pass going to church and men would be chatting because Sunday people would go sunbathing. They would just go sitting, idling around. And as young children, you are running to the Sunday school. And I think God was ministering to these people. They would feel guilty. They say, oh, children, come here. Take this money. Go and give offering. To them, God was so poor, he needed money. You can give him money and remain outside their bathing. Probably some of us are doing the same today. We think we give money in the church, so we are okay. That is our sacrifice. No. The Bible says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy before God. 
Let it be holy before God, a living sacrifice. So there are many things that people are offering, but let's see what the Bible says. They make perfect those who draw near to worship, verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The mere fact that you go to offer, whether it is service in the church, whether it is just attending the service alone, whether it is just the Easter, you are always faithful on Easter or on Christmas, you are faithful. Those ones you don't miss on first New Year day, you, are never, you never miss church. Those are the sacrifices that you offer. This, those do not have meaning. The Bible says, if that was enough, then there would be no need of repeating it again and again. But, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Remember those people were burning, sacrificing animals. They would kill them, the blood was there. Then they would put them on the altar to burn, offering. But the Bible is saying, when Christ came, God sent him. He gave him a perfect body. And he said to him, all these sacrifices are not satisfied. All these burnt offerings, they do not please me at all. And verse 7, it says, then Jesus said, here I am. He gave himself, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. So the coming of Jesus Christ was putting aside the past, all those activities that we pride in, our flesh prides in, all that was set aside. And Jesus offered himself. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did not have, when God loved the world, he did not come and say, I'm giving peace. He did not come and say, I'm giving joy. He did not come and say, I'm giving you healing. He did not come and say, I'm giving you deliverance. No. God said, I am giving you my son. In this son, Jesus, everything good is embodied in it. Healing, deliverance, victory over sin is in him. That's why he gave Jesus. He did not give those in bits. Thank God for medical science. When you say you are having stomach problems, they subscribe for you something. And God has blessed them, it works. When you tell them you're feeling pain in your feet, 
they give you a different one. So every time you go there, they give you something different for every specific. I wish they had only one tablet that can cure everything. They just tell you, okay, don't tell me your disease, go and take this one, it's done. It will be easy. That's what God did. He said, okay, I am not in the business of half measures. I'm not in the business of giving in quantizing my blessings. I give them in fullness. He gave Jesus Christ. He said, this is my son. Listen to him. Hear him. Receive him in your life. Once he comes inside, he comes with the whole package. Healing, deliverance, setting free from the bondage of sin, delivering us from the curses of this world. That's what he did. There was a transition. A transition from the old ways. I want us to look at few things as we come to the end. Few things that the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. Luke 22:44. Luke 22:44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Luke 22:44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. In the garden of Gethsemane, he shed his blood. As he prayed, there was the agony in him. He saw the burden that was on him. The Bible says there was an angel that came to minister to him. And at that time, his blood was coming out. It was in the form of blood. Why? Because Adam had lost the ability to say no to sin. And this was the biggest burden that humanity was facing. Jesus decided, if it takes my blood to pray, I shall pray for these people that God may deliver them from this burden of sin. So what Adam lost, the ability to say no to sin, Jesus regained that ability for us by shedding of his blood. Through his prayers, he wanted us to be victorious. Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 26. Matthew 27, 26. The blood was for our healing. The blood of Jesus Christ was for our healing. When Christ was offered, he said, here I am. Here I am. He was saying, I am the right sacrifice, Father. Send me. Offer me as a sacrifice on behalf of these people. Offer me as a sacrifice. And the Bible says, then he, re re and then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Barabbas, Barabbas was released and Jesus was beaten. The Bible talks, it is said they were that whip 39 whips, 39, lashes of stripes on his back. They say that thing has 
the tradition of that, there were bones, sharp bones in it, in that case, those strips. At the end, there was a heavy, maybe lead or something, a heavy thing that would make sure that the full impact of the whip was felt. And the bones were supposed to cut into your flesh. That's how brutal man can be. Isaiah 53:5 says, by his stripes we were healed. In fact, it talks of we are healed in some versions. He said, we are healed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It is a continuous process. The blood of Jesus Christ is there for your healing today, tomorrow, and forevermore. You invite that blood, it sets you free from the burden of sin. You invite that blood into your life. Healing comes along to deliver you from the oppression of sickness. Psalms 129.3, Psalms 129.3, my back is covered with cuts as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. I want you to see what was happening to Jesus when he was being beaten. You know, when, just, when the Bible says he was flogged, some people think it was just a simple cane. That thing was horrible. In Psalms 129.3, it says, my back is covered with cuts as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. You know what a furrow is? So those people would whip and pull the cane to cut in the back of Jesus Christ. Those deep cuts left cuttings like furrows. Isaiah 56, Isaiah 50, verse 6, Isaiah 50, verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. All this pain and the blood that was being shed was for our healing. That's why the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. Number three, there's forgiveness and freedom from the bondage of transgressions and iniquity. The blood provides forgiveness. It provides freedom from the bondage of transgressions and iniquity. Transgressions are deliberate sins. You say, I am going to do it no matter what the Holy Ghost tells me, no matter what the Spirit of God prompts in my spirit, I am doing it. You go ahead. The gentle spirit tells you, no, you are born again. You are a child of God, but you shut your heart and say, I will do it anyhow. I have had you, Holy Ghost, but I am still going ahead. I will do it. That's transgression. Iniquity. Iniquities are sins. For example, your father was a, a very harsh man, was a liar. So, or your grandfather was a liar. Your father became a liar. You are also showing, exhibiting those tendencies of lying. This is an iniquity. It's something that you cannot, you find yourself in it. But the Bible says he has come to set us free from all this by his blood. You know, Abraham lied. The thing went to Isaac. The same thing went to Jacob. 
And the same thing went to the children of Jacob, the fourth generation. Transgressions. Matthew 27, 26. Matthew 27, 26. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We have said also Isaiah the same, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. To be released from the grip of transgressions and iniquities, we need the blood of Jesus Christ. As I've said, iniquities, you have no control. You find some things you've just inherited. Your great-great-father was found in this mess. You find yourself in it. Seek for the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing will set you free. Only the blood. Number two, the blood restores. The second thing in that verse, it was restoring the wholeness in life. It restores wholeness in our lives. Okay, the fourth point, sorry I said two, but that's two under three. This is fourth point on the blood. It sets free, it sets us free from the mental torture and ushers in peace of mind. How? In Matthew 27, 29, Matthew 27, 29, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of Jews, they said. The blood came from the head of Jesus Christ, dripping down. The blood was from the head, dripping down. It was to lose the bondage of our minds. It was to clean our minds. So that they are not in bondage. We do not linger in the sinful world. It releases our mind from being captive, making our mind free, so that we are loosed from the bondage of indecisiveness. We are filled with the wisdom of God in our mind, to be filled with the peace of mind that only God can give. So by the blood shed from his head, our minds were restored. Our peace was restored. Number five, the blood restores our ability to succeed, to be effective, to be ready to receive. The Bible says, he shall bless the works of our hands. He shall bless the works of our hands. If the hands cast, if the hands have touched the wrong thing, it is impossible for them to achieve success. Jesus laid his hands on the cross. And you know when you are nailed, it is symbolic. You are being held so that you cannot move. You are immobile. You cannot move around. You cannot be functional. But the blood that was being shed from the hands is symbolic of the ability for you to do work so that that work is blessed. So the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us from lack of success in our work. 
Matthew 27, 35, the Bible says, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The blood that dripped from his hands, the hands of Jesus, purified our hands. These people were dividing cast and casting lots because they were thinking it's done. But the blood that was coming from the hands was there to purify our hands so that when we lift them to God and say we lift up our holy hands, the blood has cleansed them indeed that pure. The blood justified our hands to be as if they're not sinful. The blood sanctified our hands so that we can receive that which God set in store for us. We can now worship God with our hands lifted up. The curse that was on the work of our hands was lifted by that blood. Number six, the blood restored our authority and dominion. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was to restore our authority and dominion. Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to tremble. When you are trampling, that thing is under your feet. Tremble on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The feet were pierced. Blood came from his feet. The blood that came from the feet of Jesus Christ was to reinstate the authority. It's symbolism. The Bible says he has been raised up to the right arm of the Father. God so exalted him that he lifted him up. And he has brought all his enemies to be his footstool. That means his foot is over the neck of the enemy. Thank God we are in Christ. So even if I'm the leg, the enemy is still under my feet. If I'm the knee, the enemy is still under my feet. If I am the toe, the enemy is still under my feet. If I am the sole of my feet, the enemy is still under my feet. That means he's still under my authority while in Christ Jesus. So the blood restored the power and authority for us to dominate. Remember he said, go and dominate the world. Go and dominate the world. We were to be overcomers. So the blood restated this. Joshua 1 verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Hallelujah. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, the piercing of his feet led to the blood dripping from his feet. The blood purified our feet in order to have dominion over the enemy. We can now claim what belongs to us. The last point, to provide wholeness of the heart and fullness of joy. To provide wholeness of the heart and fullness of joy. John 19:34. instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing sudden flow of blood and water. Water purifies. It is accompanying blood. So what was the significance? Jesus had been betrayed. He had agonized in Gethsemane. 
It is possible when you are going through a lot of trials and a lot of pressure. Bitterness is not far from you. Because once you identify who, who is responsible, you find yourself having a low thing for that person. Bitterness for that. Jesus said, that bitterness I'm taking out of your heart. That bitterness, that low thing for people I'm taking out of your heart and I'm releasing it, it is being washed away. That rejection you feel in your heart is being washed away. As the blood came from the side and the water accompanied, it was refreshing the inside. The rejection we feel in our marriage, the rejection we feel in our family, the rejection we feel in our place of work, the rejection and betrayals that we feel, they were released on the cross at Calvary. Jesus felt rejected by the Father. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabakatani. But at the same time, he knew he had to take that bed, pain. He had to take it on behalf of humanity. For he said, here I am. You have not desired for those burnt offerings, but a body have I given. Here I am. That's what he said. So much agony he underwent, but he released us. Now we have washed, we have been washed by the water from all curses under which we have been living. We can now get a heart, a heart which is a heart of flesh that is free. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. I want to invite all of us now just to close our eyes and meditate over the blood. Have I allowed the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me and to cleanse me? Am I willing as a child of God to release all the bitterness from my heart, to release all the hatred from my heart, to go before my father and have all the curses in my life broken? Pastor. Praise the Lord. Even as we remain in an attitude of prayer, even as we think back over what we have heard over the last 50 minutes or so, let us just turn 